series we started last week called Redig the Wells. All right, you guys were really into it last week, I guess. Then. Let's try this one more time. So last week we started this series called Redig the Wells. And uh, we're going we're gonna to go over that in a second, kind of explain to you what that means. But last week we started this series called Redig the Wells, and we talked about faith last week being the first well that is important to our life and to this church, and it's the first well where we are redigging. So we're going to start in Genesis 26 and verse 15 uh, in the New Living Translation. It says, so the Philistines, or the enemy, filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to the Geher Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. Verse 18, key verse for the series, it says, And he reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. And Isaac also restored the names of that Abraham had given them. Let's leave this up here. So today we're going to talk about part two of Redig the Wells. And I want to give you a little recap of what that means before we talk about the second well that we need to redig as a church and as believers. So first of all, we're talking about redig the wells. Now, in the context of the Bible and the Bible times, we know that the wells were a place of life, blessing, and refreshing. We see that wells, where there's water, there is life, there is blessing, there is refreshing. So wells were significant. Still today in 2020, wells are significant. If you don't have clean water, you cannot live. You have to either have somebody come and professionally get probably way down in the ground and to dig a well, or you need to move away to a new place because if there's no water, there is no life. You will die. But how many, how many of you know, especially in Bible times when they didn't have the equipment that we have thousands of years ago, especially in a culture who lived in the Middle East in Israel, and it was a very desert climate, how many of you know water is very important? Just like today, water's important in the winter, but water's really important when it's 105 degrees. It's kind of crucial, vital to your life. So if you had the well, you had life, you had blessing, you had refreshing. And we see here in this passage that the Philistines, which is a type of the enemy, had filled up the wells of uh, Father Abraham. They had filled up the wells, and Isaac was in that land. And Isaac... The son, the second generation, he went back and he redug the wells of his father, Abraham. And we see that he redug those wells, and that well became a place of life and blessing and refreshing for him. And when I'm speaking about wells today, I'm not talking about a natural well, but I'm speaking of the spiritual wells and the spiritual heritage that we have. As believers and as a church, there is generations and generations and generations of heroes of the faith, men and women of God, who have dug wells for us that are foundations, that are pillars, that are non-negotiables, that are wells of life that we should never neglect, that we should never let the enemy cover over. But we need to redig those wells because that's where the life is. 
And there's generations and generations and generations of believers who fought for some things that now that we live in a culture that everything comes to us so easy, we can forget that we don't have the same passion and the same uh, faith for these certain wells that generations that fought for it appreciated it more. Because they had to fight for things that we easily believe. But we are standing on their shoulders. And we're drinking from their wells. And so we need to redig some wells in our life. Now, I said this last week, and I want to repeat it again for those of you who weren't here, but I'm 32 years old. I'm all for doing church new and better, staying relevant. We live in 2020. Let's not act like we're in the 1980s here. We're not going to get the flowers on the, back on the stage. No offense, Mom. We're not going to bring back the old carpet and the old chairs and the banners. And we're not going to bring back the old music and the, and the, I was about to say unicorn. What is that? The shofar. Same thing. They're both horns. I have a seven-year-old daughter. Everything's unicorn. Sorry. Um, We're not going to bring back the unicorn or the shofar, either one. Those days are long and gone. But let me say this. I'm all for doing things better. And, you know, we've made a lot of changes in our church, and we're going to make a lot more in the future because we have to. If we don't move and grow, we die. Every church does. And trust me, we've seen that. All of you know that. There's churches all over this community that are dead. They've been dead for years, and they're, they're still trying to have a service, and they're still trying to have a church, but they died years ago because they refused to change. They refused to grow. But anyways, like I'm saying, I'm all for that. I'm all for having a good website and social media and us having relevant music and relevant teaching and having a, a great facility that looks nice and looks like we're in 2020, looks like we're current. I'm all for people wearing the right clothes and, and playing the right music and, and having you know an awesome PowerPoint and videos and all that. I'm 100% for that. But those are the methods and they will always change. They're going to change the rest of our life. And 30 years from now, somebody's going to call me old school. And somebody's going to say, oh, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not cool anymore because I'll be 62 then. And they're going to say, no, you don't know what you're talking about, Dad. You, you don't know what you mean. You know, you're just old school. Come on, we got to change this. We got to do this. It has to change with every generation. That's the methods. Keyword, that's the methods. But the thing is, we can have all of that, and if we don't have the wells, we have nothing. Because the wells are the message. And if we don't have the wells, we have no life. We have no power. We have no substance. We just have a nice building with a nice website and nice people, and we look the part and we sound the part, but there's no power to change anybody's life. There's no substance in the preaching because you're not giving them anything because you've gotten away from the well, which is the message that's in the Bible. So 
thinking about this, the message that's in the Bible, these truths, and, and we talked about one last week, which is very important, the well of faith. We should never let that go dry. The well of faith. We are faith people, and this is a faith church, and we serve a faith God. And that's a well that we should never let go dry. That's the message. We're going to talk about another one today that's very important to us. But let me say this. We've, we've forgotten sometimes, and we've gotten off track because we feel like just because something's old, something's old school, that that means it's irrelevant. That means uh, it doesn't apply to us anymore. And we promote and applaud young people, young ideas, new ideas, more than old, tried, tested, and true things. I knew he would stand up on that. No, I'm joking. But how many know that makes no sense whatsoever? The reason it's old school, the reason it's been around for thousands of years and generations is because it's truth. And truth doesn't change. It's not some idea that goes out of date within one year that some 32-year-old preacher made up. So these truths that we're talking about, yes, they're old, but they're old because they've lasted. And they've been tested and tried. And they've been found to be the truth. That's worked for generation after generation after generation. A believer in Jesus since the early church. And just because it's old, that means it's the truth. And these are wells of truth that we need to redig again. Come on, you follow me so far. But I thought about this. This is interesting. Thinking about wells and the wells that we dig, this is what happens, and I, I found this verse this week. This is what happens when we choose to go away from the wells that God has laid before us in his word. So Jeremiah, if you could turn there, Jeremiah 2 and verse 13. I just want to share this verse with you real quick before we jump, in, jump into um, the well that we're going to talk about today. Jeremiah 2 and verse 13. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking. Notice what he says. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And notice, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns or wells that can hold no water at all. How many know that's what we do when we try to get away from the wells? The ancient wells, the ancient past, the tried and true wells of our fathers and mothers in the faith. What happens? We commit sin and we do something evil because we get away from the, the living water and we try to make a well of ourselves. and it says it can hold no water. That's why you can get all those things, natural things, current things, relevant things, modern things, which we're going to do. I'm not saying we're not going to do. That's important. But that's not what our hope is in. That's not what our faith is in. And what happens if we put our faith in that, in the natural things alone, it holds no water. There's no substance to it. There's no life in it. There's no power in it. It's dry and dead because it's not the well of the supernatural. You guys follow me so far this morning. So we're going to talk about well number two today. Today we're going to be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, like I mentioned last week, we're going to probably do more teaching than preaching today. So I want you to stay with me. Stay, stay with me in your notes. Stay with me in your scriptures. Stay with me in your thinking because I'm going to say a lot because I'm going to try to talk about as much about the Holy Spirit as I can in this short amount of time. So today we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. That's well number two. Last week was faith. This week is the power of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, before I say that, let me tell you this. The second most important thing that you can do in your walk with God is to receive the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I said second is because the number one thing you can do is you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You you need to believe he lived and he died and he rose again. And you need to receive salvation and forgiveness of your sins. So that's the number one thing you can do and you should do. But the second most important thing after you receive the gift of salvation is to receive the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the most important things you can ever do in your walk with God and in this Christian life. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit, or some people would say being Spirit-filled. So first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to say this. The Holy Spirit, He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not just a force or a feeling or goosebumps you feel at church. He is God. The Holy Spirit is not falling out. The Holy Spirit is not doing a charismatic jig. The Holy Spirit is not praying in tongues. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, His presence can come on you and you do supernatural things, but the Holy Spirit is not a feeling or a force. He is God. And how many know if we don't believe He is God, we will not be able to relate to Him as the God He is? The Holy Spirit is God. He is co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent with the Father and the Son. He is, in the Bible, it says he is the third person of the Trinity or the Godhead. And a lot of us know this in the Bible. God reveals himself as a Trinity, as a Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, a lot of people are okay with the Father and the Son. That makes more sense to us. It's a little bit easier for our minds to to grasp. But when we start talking about spirit, he's often the one that's neglected. But in reality, he's the most important one that we relate to as New Testament believers. Because the truth is that the Father is in heaven and the Son is in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is here living in us and through us and moving in this earth. And the, and the Bible says that this is the age and the time of the Holy Spirit that we're living in right now. But often the one who is forgotten out of the Trinity, out of the Godhead. People talk about the Father. People talk about the Son, Jesus. But not a lot about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because a lot of people are intimidated and afraid because they don't understand who he is. But he is God. He is just as much God as the Father is and as the Son is. He is God. Also, the Holy Spirit is a person. You can relate to him. You can talk to him. He's not just a feeling. He's not just a force. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Here's some things that he does. 
You don't have to write all these down, but you can just listen. He's a person. The Bible says that Holy Spirit leads. He guides. He prays. He works. He speaks. The Holy Spirit can also be grieved. He can be resisted. He can be quenched. Why? Because he's not a feeling. He is a person. So the Holy Spirit is God, and he is a person that we can relate to. And he is the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity. So we live in the time and the day and the age of the Holy Spirit. It's so important for us. So let's look in our Bibles. We're going to talk about first, I'm said I'm going to do some teaching, then some preaching. So let's look in our Bible and see the Holy Spirit from the beginning in Genesis all the way through the Bible and see what the Bible says about him. So let's turn to Genesis 1 and verse 1. Talking today about the well of the power of the Holy Spirit. So look at this. Right in the very beginning of the Bible, the Holy Spirit shows up because he was there before time. Genesis 1 and 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And notice, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So we see in the beginning, Father, Son, and Spirit were at creation. We're creating the world. We're creating all the animals we see, all the trees we see, all the mountains we see. Created Adam and Eve. The Spirit of God was there. And notice the Spirit of God, what does He do? He manifests the will of the Father and the Son. And so He was waiting to hear the words from the Father and the Son to create what we have on this earth. And it says the Spirit of God was hovering upon the face of the waters, waiting to hear. And the next verse it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and light was. Now, who was the one manifesting that light? I believe it was the Holy Spirit jumped into action. As soon as those words were spoken, the Holy Spirit was at creation, creating all that we see. The Holy Spirit, because He is God. So we see the Holy Spirit in Genesis at the very beginning creating the earth as we know it. Also in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. But we know something about these Old Testament saints. They were never able to receive the Holy Spirit to live within them. It would only come upon them for a short period of time, and then the Holy Spirit would leave. Now why is that? Because people were sinful sinful human beings. And until Jesus came, he didn't make anybody clean. So those Old Testament saints, even though they were used by God, they were not fully clean in the eyes of God because Jesus had not come and given his life to pay for sin. So the Holy Spirit would come upon these Old Testament saints temporarily to do something great for God. Let me give you a few examples of that. We see in the Bible All throughout the Old Testament, it would say something like this. The hand of the Lord came on so-and-so to do what they were called to do. What was the hand of the Lord? The Holy Spirit. How many know it talks about Elijah? The hand of the Lord came upon him, and he outran the chariot. How many know you can't do that in the natural? The Holy Spirit came on him, and he ran supernaturally. How many know when Moses lifted up the rod of God in front of the Red Sea, it was the Holy Spirit that was moving and moving those waters away? All the miracle signs and wonders we see in the Old Testament, 
That is God, but that is God the Holy Spirit moving. And we see that when you see the word, the hand of God, the presence of God, the power of God in the Old Testament, even though his name is not mentioned, it's talking about the Holy Spirit moving upon people in that Old Testament to help them do great things for God that they couldn't do in their own strength. That was the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. We see also that the the hand of God or the anointing of God, which how many of them know the anointing is not just an abstract thing, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not just some random thing where you're just anointed. So what, what does that mean? You're just like excited? You just got goosebumps? You got a feeling? No, when somebody's anointed, that means the Holy Spirit is on them and in them and using them. It's not just a feeling or you just got a vibe about you. You just got kind of like a, a powerful aura around you right now. I can just like feel it. You got good vibrations that are coming my way. No, it's a person. And it is God, and it is the Holy Spirit. It's not just a feeling or a force or a sensation. The anointing is a person. The Holy Spirit living in you and using you for service. So we see in the Old Testament, now I said I was going to teach you, still with me. The Holy Spirit would predominantly rest upon the prophet, the priest, and the king in the Old Testament. And it would talk about that there there would be an anointing or the hand of God would come upon the priest to do what he was called to do. It would come upon the king to do what he was called to do. And it would come upon the prophet to do what he was called to do. And it said that they would be anointed. What's the anointing? The Holy Spirit would come upon those men and women to help them do what they could not do in their own strength. So the Holy Spirit was moving all throughout the Old Testament. If we look hard enough and we study our Bibles enough, we can see him moving. And how many know David, my good friend David, man after God's own heart, he actually had revelation of the Holy Spirit more than any other person in the Old Testament because he knew that anointing. He knew the presence of God. He knew the Holy Spirit. And there's even a passage, one of the few passages in that Old Testament, after he had sinned, he said, God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. He had enough awareness that the Holy Spirit was with him and using him, even in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was moving and anointing people to do what they were called to do. You guys still here? So we see that God was moving all throughout the Old Testament through the person of the Holy Spirit. His hand was on people. His presence was on people. His spirit was on people. That was the Holy Spirit of God moving. Let me take you to the very end of the book here. Revelation 22 in verse 17. One of the verses right before the very last verse of the Bible, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life Notice the spirit and the bride say come. So this is right at the end of your Bible. Revelation written by the apostle John as an old man. And he says, speaking about Jesus coming back. He said the spirit and the bride say come. Now who's the bride? The church. Now what is he saying here? For Jesus to come back. For Jesus to 
come back to earth and set things right the way it needs to happen, the spirit and the bride, which is the church, is going to have to fulfill the mission of God before that happens. He's not coming back till the spirit and the bride, the church, gets the job done. Implying to us, and we're going to talk about this more the rest of the message, implying to us that the church or the bride cannot get the job done apart from the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit can't get the job done apart from the church. And Jesus will not come back until the Spirit and the bride, the church, say come and fulfill the plan and the mission of God on earth. He's not coming back till that happens. But notice, the spirit needs the bride, the church, and the church needs the spirit. You can't have one without the other. Now remember that because that's going to come back up later on in this message. So let's go to John 14, verse 16. You guys still follow me today? Still talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to John 14 because why don't we go to Jesus' words? What did Jesus have to say about the Holy Spirit? Did Jesus think the Holy Spirit was important? Let's talk about that. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. How did Jesus relate to the Holy Spirit? John 14, verse 16. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. Because how many know in the Old Testament that he could only be with you, he couldn't be in you because you weren't clean yet. But notice Jesus speaks prophetically and he will be in you. The good news is we're living in those days because we've been made clean by the sacrifice of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not just with us, he lives in us. And empowers us and gives us this new life. Next verse. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So how did Jesus relate to the Holy Spirit? And also, what did Jesus tell us about the Holy Spirit to come in our life as believers, as the church? You guys still here? We're about to get in the really exciting part of it. So stay, stay with me. So let's take Jesus, for instance. He is God in the flesh. I think we could all agree about that. He is the Son of God. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, was walking as a man. Now, don't, don't say, no. now, Pastor, you're just, you're just saying stuff that's not true. That's, you shouldn't say that Jesus is a man. No, Jesus said that. Yes, he is God, but your Bible says in the book of Philippians, though he was God, he humbled himself and put away his divine privileges as God, and he walked this earth as a humble man, not as God. So yes, even though he is God and was God and will forever be God, when he was on this earth, he humbled himself and he got rid of his divine privileges as God Almighty. That's what your Bible says. So Jesus, when he was walking through this earth, was walking as a man. But we see something happen. For 30 years, Jesus was good. How many know he was good? He never sinned. 
Jesus was a good boy the first 30 years. Never sinned, never did anything wrong. He was perfect. But also for 30 years, he never did anything supernatural. But there's something that happened. It says that he was baptized by John the Baptist in the river. And he was at the age of 30. And when he was baptized, not only was he baptized in water, at that moment it says that the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus and filled him with the Holy Spirit. Now, why would he need that if he was God? Well, he wasn't operating as God right then. He was operating as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as Jesus, come on now somebody, as soon as Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit, it says that he started to do supernatural things. He started to heal the sick. He started to cast out devils. He started to see blind eyes open. He started to see the dead raised. He was able to overcome temptation. He was able to go to the cross. He was able to even go to hell by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on it says the same spirit who's that the holy spirit the same spirit that raised christ from the dead in hell is the same spirit that lives in us so the holy spirit was even the one who raised up jesus in hell talk about a helper and some power now why was he doing that he was doing that because he was a man operating as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. But religious people don't get it. Some of you already just, you're questioning what I'm saying, but it's the truth. Religious people don't get it because your religiousness wants to just put the emphasis on Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus, oh he can do it. Yeah, that's awesome. But you realize Jesus didn't walk as a man empowered of the Holy Spirit to show you what he could do. He didn't have to do that. He could have just came down and said, I'm God from year one to year 33, just healed everybody on the playground, in diapers, whatever. He was just supernatural the whole time. But he didn't do that because he didn't want you to see what he could do. He wanted you to see what you could do when you were empowered by the Holy Spirit and to give you an example of what your life should be like when you're empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, are you getting help this morning? So let's just stop putting it, oh, Jesus did this, Jesus did that. Yes, he did. But you have the same spirit living in you. And his example in this earth walk was to say, and he actually said this in the Bible, it's another scripture, the same works that I do, you can do also. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. How could we do the same works that Jesus did also? Because we have the same spirit that he has living on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit. So Jesus thought it was important enough to receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with his spirit. How much more us? We need him. Apart from him, we can do nothing supernatural. We have no power. To overcome temptation. We have no power to live pure. We have no power to live this Christian life. We, know, we have no power to believe God. We have no power to heal anybody, deliver anybody, save anybody, help anybody. We have no power at all. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. In the same way, Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit, couldn't do anything supernatural either. 
That's why we need him. So I think we could say Jesus thought pretty highly of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to go to heaven. But don't worry because the disciples were freaking out. Because they didn't have the context of the full Bible. They just knew Jesus is leaving. They didn't have the whole Bible to understand, okay, this is what he's saying, and he's prophetically talking about this and this. They didn't know right then. They were just knowing Jesus is going to leave. We got our hopes up. We've been walking with him for three years, and now Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but don't worry. I'm going to send somebody back, and he's better than me. But Jesus said, let's read it again, John 14, and this is not the only passage, but this is the one we're going to read. John 14, let's turn over there again. Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Because how many know Jesus was in his earthly ministry in a physical body, and he could not be with them forever like that? That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, but he will be in you. That means he'll never leave us nor forsake us because everywhere we go, he goes because he's in us. And notice, I will not leave you orphans because the disciples were saying, hey, we need you. And he said, no, don't worry, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you alone. I will come to you. And how did he come to us? By the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, they're all God. And notice he says, I will come to you. I'll send you another. Can we put verse 16 back up there? So Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit. But Jesus told us, that he would send the Holy Spirit and he would live and abide with us forever. He would come and live on the inside of us. But notice he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Let's leave this up here. Now when he says another, that word another means the same as me. So when Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit, it wasn't a downgrade. Because his disciples were feeling like, hey, we love you, but we don't know about anybody else. And Jesus said this to comfort them to say, the person I'm sending is the same as me. Because the Father, Son, and Spirit, we're all one. And he's just as much God as I am God. And he's just as much divine as I am divine. And I'm going to send you another the same as me. And he, I will give you another helper. Now, let's stop right there, and we're going to really get into the Word here together. I will give you another helper. Well, I was looking this up recently, and as you know, in different translations, it brings out different words for this word helper. This word helper can mean a lot of things, especially if you look in different translations. Something interesting, when you study your Bible, you have to realize that the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Aramaic languages are way more advanced than English. We think as Americans we're so far advanced. 
were so more, much more intelligent than people that lived thousands of years ago. But if you look at the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic languages, they're way superior to English. English is not impressive to somebody who speaks those languages. It's very dull and boring. It's not very descriptive as a language. So if we look at this in the original language, and we're going to read it some, it brings out way more words than just the word helper. Now, the word in the original language is the word parakletos. And it can mean all these words. Can you put up that next slide for me? This is what it means in the original. All from this one word. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our advocate. He's our strengthener. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our friend. He's our encourager. He's our standby. And he's our intercessor. All of those words are in that one word, parakletos, that he says, I will send you another helper. How many know that's a little more descriptive than the English language? All those words are given to describe who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. He is our helper, our advocate, our strengthener, our comforter, our counselor, our friend, our encourager, our standby, and our intercessor. So that is who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And Jesus said, I'm going to send this one who's going to be all these things to you. Isn't that awesome? But let's take another step. And I'm reading this from the Passion Commentary on this word. It says, the Greek word used here is parakletos. It's a technical word that could be translated defense attorney. It means one called to stand next to as your helper. Various translations have rendered it this, counselor, comforter, advocate, encourager, intercessor, helper, some of the words we just used. However, none of these words alone are adequate and fall short in explaining the full meaning. The translators have chosen the word savior, for it depicts the role of the Holy Spirit to protect defend, and save us from ourself and our enemies to keep us whole and healed. The Holy Spirit, he is the one who guides and defends and comforts and consoles. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He's our Savior. Listen to this. But the Aramaic word is parakleta, which is taken from two root words, first being to end, finish, or save, and the next, which means the curse which is a beautiful word picture that says the Holy Spirit comes, somebody shout on this, to end the work of the curse and of sin in our lives and to save us from every effect. Paracleta means a redeemer who ends the curse. All of that from one word. That's how far advanced the Greek and Aramaic languages are to our language. But Jesus said that he chose his words carefully because he was trying to explain to his disciples and to us, this is who the Holy Spirit is, and this is what he's going to be to you. This is why you should get really excited. I'm going to send you another one. Because he's going to be all those things to you, the helper, the encourager, the intercessor, the savior, the counselor, the advocate, the intercessor, the standby, the strengthener. The Holy Spirit's going to be all those things to you when you receive him in the future. And I love what this passion commentary says. If you have a passion Bible, you can read it later. It says the Holy Spirit 
that word means it comes to you in the work of the curse and to save us from every effect. That's what the word picture given for the Holy Spirit is right there. So, you guys still here? You guys getting excited about the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, after this, he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. Because when he comes, you will receive power to do everything I'm commanding you to do. But you can't do it apart from him. That challenge that Jesus gave was for the disciples, but also for us. That we cannot do anything for God apart from the Holy Spirit. We cannot fulfill the mission of God without the Holy Spirit. We, we cannot build his church and build his kingdom on the earth apart from the Holy Spirit. So just like the early disciples had to wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, we have to receive that same Holy Spirit to do what we're called to do. And that's when we receive power. Let's look at Acts 1.8. One of my favorite verses, this is a favorite for all Pentecostals. Acts 1.8. We're going to read this. I believe it's in the New Living or New King James. Acts 1.8, if you have it. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But notice it says, you will receive power. So before we go any further, notice Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus turned around and told his disciples, I'm sending you this Holy Spirit. This is who he is. This is what he does. You guys should be pumped about this. Look, he's going to be your helper, your encourager. But then he said, I want you to wait for him until he's poured out. And I want you to receive him because when you receive him, you're going to have power to do everything I've commanded you to do. Power to see the dead raised, power to see blind eyes open, power to have healing signs and wonders, power to see people saved, power to live this new life, power to walk pure, power to live beyond temptation, power in everything you do. The Holy Spirit is coming and you're going to receive power. Now this word power in the original language means might, ability, strength. It's the word or it's where we get the word dynamite, dunamis. Dunamis means explosive power. So God says through his word, I want you to wait and you will receive this might, this ability, this strength, this explosive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now the early disciples had to wait. Because the Holy Spirit wasn't here yet in all of his power. But for you and I, we don't have to wait. 
We can receive him anytime, any day, anywhere. So we see that the power of God that we're all looking for, that we're all longing for, that everyone is desiring, only comes through the Holy Spirit in our life. He brings his might, his ability, his strength to our life to do what we cannot do in our own strength. It's amazing to me, and I've been in church my whole life, you see people that say, I just can't live this Christian life. I can't do it. Duh! If you could, Jesus would not have to come, first of all. Second of all, if you could, he wouldn't have to send the Holy Spirit to help you do everything you're called to do. Yeah, you can't do it. None of us can. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to give us power to do everything we're called to do. You're trying to live your Christian life in your own strength. That's why you're failing. Because you can't do it. Because you're only natural. You're not supernatural. And the Holy Spirit comes and helps you do what you cannot do. Whether that's the big things we think about like miracle signs and wonders or whether that's being a good employee or raising your kids. You need some power. Hello, somebody. Or overcoming addiction. You need some power. Where do you get that from? The Holy Spirit. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So, let's take another step. You still here? How do we get this power? How do we we receive the Holy Spirit in His fullness? How do we get filled with the power of God? There's an experience that all people should have called being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to read about it in a second here. But it happened in the book of Acts, and it's been happening ever since. It's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you hold this for me? Oh, Brother Sean was my Kids on the Rock teacher. I have a partial anointing from him. So when we receive salvation, this is us before salvation. Empty, looking for something to fill us. Most people choose the wrong things, and they don't fill you. The older you get, the more you find that out. But when we receive salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in us. This is us. Full. When you receive salvation, the Holy Spirit comes, and he makes you alive to God. The Bible calls it being born again. You go from death to life. How many know that takes some power? Who's doing that? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So he comes in you and he fills you. But there's a secondary experience that the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power. 
That's power for service. That's power to do everything he's called you to do. That's power for miracles, signs, and wonders. And a lot of believers are satisfied with a full cup. But they have no power. Now, I want to get on my soapbox for a second. Can you let me get on my soapbox for a second? Because there's other churches that sing spirit-filled songs, but they're not spirit-filled. And notice it falls flat because there's no spirit moving there. There's preachers that can preach this Bible, and it's nothing. But they're preaching God's Word. Why is it falling flat? Because there's no Holy Spirit on them because they're not spirit-filled. Trust me, the Holy Spirit's Spirit is the difference maker. The Holy Spirit is the game changer. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes you different. So when you sing, it's not just natural, it's supernatural. And when you preach, it's not just natural, it's supernatural. Trust me, from somebody who's been in church their whole life, I can see it from a mile away. Oh, you singing the same song, but there is nothing on that song. You're preaching the same message, but there is nothing on that message. Why? Because you are dry and dead yourself. You can't do anything apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit that's of any supernatural value. And you can sense it. What is it? There's no power. You're preaching it, but there's no power. That's why a lot of denominations are dead. No power. You got books. You know the word. No power. You sing the songs. No power. Because you're neglecting the one who gives you the power to do it. The Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying as charismatics and Pentecostals we need to hold our head up high and act like we're arrogant. But we also need to notice they're missing out. And let's not be ashamed of being a charismatic Pentecostal church because I'm not ashamed of the power of God. I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because that's what you're looking for. That's what your lost co-workers are looking for. That's what your friends are looking for. That's what your school is looking for. That's what your job is looking for. That's what this world is looking for. Not just more preachers and singers and churches. They're looking for the power of God. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding today. And I'm not ashamed of the power. I'm not weird about it. I don't got a weird twitch. I'm not goofy. I make sense when I talk. I believe in the power of God. I'm not ashamed of being Pentecostal and charismatic. I'm not ashamed of being spirit-filled because it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm not saying this arrogantly, but we have the answer. Stop being ashamed of it. Stop being shy about it. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I'm struggling too. No, you got some power. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just, you know, barely making it too. No, you have power. Stop being ashamed of having power and overcoming in life. Stop trying to fit in with everyone who's losing in life and has no victory because they have no power. I told you I was getting on my soapbox. This is not my message. Don't be ashamed of the power. 
It's the difference maker. But the Holy Spirit, only His power comes when we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and being Spirit-filled. Okay, so I'm going somewhere. So Acts 2, let's turn there. Right after chapter 1 where He said, You shall receive power. The next chapter, what does it say? Acts 2 and verse 1. Now this is the first time that people were Spirit-filled. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it, notice, it filled the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. Key verse, and they were all filled. How many? How many? How many? But you know the Holy Spirit's just for certain people. Praying in tongues is just for certain people. Read your Bible. How many? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and notice, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the mutterance. This moment right here was when people got filled with the Holy Spirit. Or some would say the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All the same thing. And when they got filled with the Spirit, they received power. Dunamis. Explosive ability, might, and power. But it only happened when they got filled with the Spirit. Or received this secondary experience this Bible talks about. So what happened? When you got saved, you got filled to full. But when you get spirit filled, this experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or being immersed in the Holy Spirit, you get filled to overflow. And how many know the overflow is not just for you, it's for others. But something happens when you get filled to overflow, something comes out. Now, that's what happens when people pray in tongues. The Holy Spirit's in you to your full, but when you get filled with him, something comes out. And what comes out is a spiritual, supernatural language, and you start praying in the Spirit. Now, that's not the only way you know you're Spirit-filled, but that's one of the main ways you know you're Spirit-filled. Because if he's really filled you to overflowing, something will come out of you. We're not going to turn there, but Jesus said it in the Gospels many times. He said, out of your belly or your spirit would flow rivers of living water. And he said, I didn't speak this about myself. I'm speaking this about the Holy Spirit to come. What was he talking about? Praying in the Spirit. When you get filled to overflowing, out of you is going to flow rivers of living water. You guys still here? I know I've been preaching 55 minutes. It's okay. So we see the early church received that experience, but ever since then, believers have been receiving the same experience. It's how we get filled with 
the Holy Spirit. It's how we receive the power of the Holy Spirit is to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I'm not okay with just being full. I want to be overflowing. And Jesus said, you need to wait till this happens or you won't have any power. You need this. And if they needed it, we need it. I know most of you have already received this, but I'm just reminding you of what's vital for your life. We need this. This is a well that should never go dry in our lives, being filled with the Holy Spirit and having the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. But it happens when we receive him and he fills us to overflow. I want to read you another passage and we're going to end with this, Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 in the Passion Translation says, And don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion, but instead be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, why did I want to bring this verse up at the end of this message? I'm going to tell you why. Because a lot of you in here are already Spirit-filled. You've already received the power at least one time in your life. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, which is a spirit-filled church. They're already spirit-filled. They already speak in tongues. They already have miracle signs and wonders. But he says, church, don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So why would the Apostle Paul tell a Spirit-filled church that they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because the real meaning in the original language is be being filled. Which means it's an ongoing process. That how many of you know when you go to work and somebody gets on your nerves, you're starting to get a little empty. Somebody's going to have to be being filled. And then you have a sick kid that's been sick all week, and they're driving you up the wall. Good Lord, some of that feeling is coming out. And then you have an unexpected bill. And you start stressing out about that and, and, and life's challenges and tribulations. And so by the end of the week, this is what your life looks like. That's why he says, be being filled. Because, yes, you receive that one-time filling at the altar or wherever you got prayed for, and you got spirit-filled, and you received your prayer language in the Spirit of God. But the Holy Spirit doesn't want to just fill you once. He wants to fill you every day. And that's why he says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because, trust me, life will drain the water of the Holy Spirit out of you. And so what do you got to do? Be being filled. After a week like this, I need to get in church. I need to pray in tongues. Good Lord, I need to pray in tongues. I'm getting grumpy. 
I need to worship God. And then you get full to overflowing because you're being filled by the Spirit of God. It's an ongoing process. So let me encourage you like the Apostle Paul encouraged the Spirit-filled church. Don't get drunk with wine, which is excess, which is a false, come on now, substitute for the real thing. God doesn't want you to be sober. You just need to be high on the right stuff. But be being filled. So I'm going to encourage you, church. A lot of you are spirit-filled. But where is he? When's the last time you prayed in the spirit? When's the last time you've been with the Holy Spirit? Somebody should be able to tell. Be being filled. I'm encouraging you, church. I'm pleading with you, church. We say we're a spirit-filled church. Be being filled. When's the last time you've been filled to overflowing like you did all those years ago? When's the last time you just prayed in the spirit just because you wanted to? When's the last time you felt some power in your life? The reason it's not there is because you've gone empty. Am I saying too much today? (laughs) He says to the Ephesians church, be being filled ongoingly. You know, for most of us in here, we need that multiple times a day. Come on now, somebody. Tell me the truth. You need that multiple times a day. There is enough mess in your life that you need to do that multiple times a day. And the good news is he will pour it out anytime you want. He will refill you anytime you want. Anytime you're humble enough, sober enough, wise enough to say, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I need to be filled again. The Holy Spirit will pour out his spirit and fill you once again. So let me encourage you, be being filled. I wrote this down, refill constantly. The Holy Spirit wants to, but we have to receive it. Be being filled. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people who drinks a lot when I eat. Probably too much. I ruin my meal. Whatever it is. Coke, Sprite, water. I drink too much. And so you know what? I probably bug the waiters and waitresses so much because they're always having to come refill. But you know what? At nicer restaurants, this is what they do to me. People just get fed up with me. Waiters and waitresses. And I don't even ask for a refill. They will bring the whole pitcher and say, do it yourself. I don't get offended at that. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. I'm sorry. I've been making you run around 10 different times today. You know what God's telling you today? Do it yourself. If you want him, he's available, but you've got to do something yourself. If you want to refill, you're going to have to get in his presence. Do it yourself. If you want him, you're going to have to pray in tongues. Do it yourself. If you want him, you're going to have to be here when the doors are open. Do it yourself. He's put the pitcher of water there. Do it yourself. You can have as much of God as you want. 
It's not on his side, it's on our side. And what is he saying? Be being filled. It's great. I love this. we got a spirit-filled church. Most of you have been spirit-filled a long time. But when's the last time you refilled? Don't forget it. It's the power of God. It's the power to help you accomplish everything God has told you to do. The power of God is in and through the Holy Spirit. Let's never get away from that in our personal lives, in our families, in this church. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us different. The power of the Holy Spirit, let's not be ashamed of Him. In our personal lives, in our public lives, as a church, let's not be ashamed of Him. He is the power of God for us as believers, the Holy Spirit. And let's start refilling.